I've been here about a year and a half. And when I joined, it was about 900 partners, and we slimmed that down to about 450 partners. Because what we're doing here is is, is about value. It's value for the customer. It's a high-value solution. Um, we want to make sure that we've got invested, loyal, and committed partners that we can pay attention to. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where you'll hear leaders of partner programs talk about their greatest challenges and most successful solutions. And now your host, Louis Gadima, the President of Revenue and Associates. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where we talk with leaders in software partner programs to learn about what's working today. I'm Louis Gadima, the President of Revenue and Associates, where we help companies grow faster by helping their channel partners market better and grow faster. Today, I'm talking with Michelle Hodges, Vice President of Worldwide Channels and Alliances at Gigamon. Previously, Michelle held senior channel positions at Microsoft, SAP, VMware, Intel, and other companies. She is a CRN 2019 Women of the Channel honoree, and the channel program that she oversees at Gigamon has a CRN five-star rating. Michelle is a member of Cloud Girls and a board member of Baptiste Women in Channel Leadership Forum, among other activities. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Louis. Uh, thanks for having me. So another one of the guests on the podcast, Michelle Rule, is a member of Cloud Girls also. Oh, uh, yeah. what, can, you tell, uh, can you tell us about it and how, how is it helpful for you? Cloud Girls, uh, gosh, I must have been a member there uh, for the last three or four years. And it's a networking group um, out of a couple women that I was working with in Seattle. I spent some time with a software as a service company called Aptio. Uh, and they were looking for women, uh, not necessarily in the channel, but in the cloud space that were um, helping to drive cloud transitions for, for uh, customers and channel. You know, it serves a couple pretty valuable purposes for me. The first is education. Every month, a different member of the community uh, prepares a presentation to share their specific area of expertise. And so there's things like Bitcoin or hyper-converged channel models, all sorts of things that um, I'm able to learn uh, from that group of women. And then it's also just networking community. Whenever you change jobs or you're have a new challenge in your existing role or you're looking for great talent for your team. It's just a wonderful network of individuals to, to help to reach into. It's been, a, it's been a great experience. That's great. It does sound terrific. Please fill us in a bit more detail on your career. You've worked uh, in the channel for a while and at some great companies. So can you tell us more about your career path and, and what you like about the channel? Sure. I've been very fortunate to carry every channel role, I think, in every geography. The joke is I left Colorado, where I was living at the time, I must have been 29, with a, a suitcase and a, and a box, and came back 15 years later with a 40-foot container, a husband, a child, and a, and a cat. <laughs> <All things. laughs> and along the way, uh, I was able to, to live in the UK for nine years, where I worked with Microsoft as they were building their Indian system integration route to market uh, and looked after all of those Indian SIs. And Microsoft then moved me to India, where I looked after the LAR and SI business in India as that little value-added channel was developing. was able to then go spend four years in Singapore as the uh, Vice President of Channels and Alliances for Business Objects which it was shortly after the crystal acquisition. So it was just every route to market that you could think of, whether it was big GSIs or a commodity channel, a web store. Really, we had the whole gamut. It was uh, lots of fun. We were acquired by SAP during that time, and I 
was able to lead the, the channel integration um, for that acquisition and learn tons there. And then eventually found my way home uh, and pulled together all of that experience to work with VMware and help them build their global system integrator route to market and extending that into their services uh, partner route to market. So leading me to here, this is my second channel chief, really global channel chief role. All of those experiences, the international experience, the services and SI experiences, the channel, the technical alliances experience, all really seem to have come together in just the perfect role for my background. And then you had a second question there, why I love the channel. You know, my very first job was with a woman who, gosh, I don't want to date myself, 20 years ago-ish, maybe, being gracious, um, had the same job that I have now for a monitor company, a large monitor company. And she uh, had left the business and went to start up back then, which was called a manufacturer's rep. And so she and ultimately I with her would go into third-party peripheral companies or software companies or video game companies and say, hey, we noticed you don't have a channel in Brazil or the Middle East or Europe and say, and say, let us, let us build you that channel. We'll do the program. We'll find you all your channel partners. We'll get them trained enabled. We'll build the pipeline. And for that, we'll take, you know, a couple of percentage points off the top for doing that for you. And it was just this crash course in channel. And it, you know, I just, I just fell in love with it. This ability to, to create, how do I say it? This job that allows me to create routes to market, true routes to market for companies to get you anywhere in the world, to, to be able to get a, a piece of software or technology to show up in the middle of Africa or, or somewhere deep in China by a partner that the customer can trust and feel rep- well represented to me just really appeals to, to my nature, I guess. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's almost like a business within a business. It, it is. You know, I, I liken it to often when people say, well, what is it that you do? Lots of my friends have no idea what I do. And I say, well, do you think, for example, that your car, if you bought a Ford car, that it, that you, you actually went to the Ford manufacturer and, and bought it from them? No, in reality, there's a, a dealer that you purchase it from. And when you get it serviced, somebody else adds value to it. And when it's broken and you get an Uber, somebody else is providing you a different service. It's kind of the same thing. And it's a, it's an extension to allow the the end user, the consumer, to to buy direct from the manufacturer in some way and provide that connection. So, yeah, for me, it's quite I don't know, it's quite entertaining. I'm a self-professed <laughs> channel geek. Been doing it a long time. That's great. It's great to love your work. So, please tell people what Gigamon does and who you sell to. Yeah, so Gigamon uh, delivers network vis- visibility and analytics on digital applications and services across physical, virtual, and cloud infrastructures. We're mostly in what we call the G5000, which is uh, the enterprise um, uh, market. And our, our tagline is we allow those enterprise organizations and federal customers and service provider customers to run fast, stay secure, and innovate. And I understand the last number that I saw was that Gigamon has about 450 partners globally. Is that about right? That's a great number. Yeah, we brought that number down. Um, I've been here about a year and a half. And when I joined, it was about 900 partners. And we slimmed that down to about 450 partners. Because what we're doing here is, is, is about value. It's value for the customer. It's a high-value solution. Um, we want to make sure that we've got invested, loyal, and committed partners that we can pay attention to. You know, we're shifting the business from what was a high, I don't want to say volume, but was really a fulfillment business. Um, you know, as network and infrastructure companies grew over the last 10, 12 years, we poured a lot of money into sales and to go to market and were able to, to establish a relatively strong direct motion that needed the channel to fulfill. 
we want to get to that ne next stage, stage of growth and the type of numbers that we're looking at, there's no way you can, well, you could, but you wouldn't want to spend that much money uh, in, in building a strong sales force. And so you got to leverage the, the, the people who um, are already representing you. So we wanted to slim down that channel so we could impart more, more value to more important folks, if that makes sense. Kind of a quality over quantity approach. Absolutely, yes. I was reading some things that your president has talked about. I understand you're overseeing some big changes at Gigamon. He's talked about the channel being now, Gigamon now being channel first. So what percentage of Gigamon's revenue do partners generate and what's, what's the goal? What What's the direction? Yeah, so we're almost 100% channel today, right? Over 95%, it varies depending on, you know, if you've got a big strategic uh, contract coming in. The trick was, how can we be using that channel to really accelerate growth, uh, provide us access and reach to, to markets and customers that we don't already have, and to connect with the ecosystem, which is really critical to our architecture. If you think about where we are in the architecture stack, technology partners are just critical to our customer success, the connection there. Getting us into the ability to grow our business, get access and reach and accelerate and all of those things really needs to means we need to seek more value out of our channel, find partners who can bring us into opportunities and ultimately lead a good portion of our business. So we started this year with a low portion of our business being identified as a channel and we will exit this year at 35% of our business being channel initiated. As we go into 2020, we will look at 35% of our business being channel led. Great opportunity for our channel partners. We'll talk about the program uh, eventually, I'm sure, but this is all about putting value um, in the pockets of our channel partners, whether it's through programs incentives, passing more of that opportunity onto the partner so they can embed their own services, enabling them around those services, building ecosystem, ecosystem connections so that they can have solutions and services and opportunities to sell around them. So yeah, we'll get to the program in a moment, but you've talked about two major changes going on in business in the channel today that are really driving change. One is changes in the customer buying behaviors and the other in customer mm -hmm. buying cycles. So what are the changes that you're seeing in customer buying behaviors? You know, I think we're now almost past the change in a new reality where uh, cloud transitions and digital transformation has created a customer that's looking uh, more for outcomes and less for just buying, you know, I, I need this rack for this this reason. That customers are, are in a constant cycle of transforming their business and through that customer success life cycle of looking at outcomes and saying, hey, I need to improve my network throughput by X or I need to improve my application uptime by Y. They are then in this constant refresh of, in order to do that, I have to buy this technology and and then reset that outcome component. That has impacted the channel. You know, 10 years ago when we first started about talking about cloud, we we're like, oh no, we're you know we're all out of a job. Clouds can be sold directly. But the reality is, somebody needs to drive that, help drive that flywheel, and help uh, marshal that customer through that cycle. Uh, we'll talk again about programs, but when you build programs, you got to think about how the customer is now looking at outcomes, evaluating te technologies, who's driving the adoption and usage of that technology, and then who's setting those outcomes when you're identifying your partners and the types of programs and incentives and enablement that will um, attract their attention in, in the process of that life cycle. Yeah, it's interesting because I was uh, one of the recent guests on the podcast in Moyes in the UK. He very much was talking about that he thought cloud was, you know, that the channel was withering because of the cloud. And at the company that he's at now, they all do direct. But I talk to lots of companies and lots yeah. of channel leaders like yourself. The vast majority of their business is channel 95 or 100% even. 
And if they are channel and direct, they usually say that the channel is more cost effective, you know, higher margin yeah. than the direct is. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth to the statement, you know, if you're a SaaS business, a traditional linear channel of I sell you a box and then to a distributor and the distributor sells, opens the box and adds some stuff to it, sells it to a VAR, not even a VAR, a reseller, and sells it to the customer. You know, that's not necessarily there for, for SaaS companies or it's not there for SaaS companies. But for that SaaS company, somebody needs to drive that flywheel. Somebody's out there servicing that customer, setting customer expectations, defining outcomes, driving adoption and usage. So the traditional channel in that model, yep, it's gone. However, if you're in an appliance or any type of appliance business, and sometimes in the software business, you know, there's still the reality of risk and logistics um, that, that somebody has to take care of. And so the channel has added value there. And I think the channel has been, I'm amazed by how clever the channel has been in filling those spaces of understanding outcome-based selling, of starting to measure their businesses on the mix between product and services. So they're driving their business in the right way around delivering value-added services to their customers. Distribution is even, it's a longer road for them, but understanding the, the value they have and the connections amongst e- ecosystem partners and the types of services they can fill in for their channel customers ha- have, have been impressive. Yeah. And now you have born in the cloud distributors and all sorts of new models. Aggregators. Yeah. And yep, all of that. You've been at Gigamon for about a year and a half. And this year, mm-hmm. I think in April or so, you launched the Catalyst Channel Program. How have those changes in customer buying behavior and buying cycles how did they impact your channel strategy? The you know, channel first ultimately is about value and value exchange. Um, the first pillar of, uh, pillar of our channel strategy is all about making sure that there's an equal and profitable value, value exchange between ourselves and our partners. And in doing that, you have to look at where the partner is in relation <laughs> to their customer. And so if you go back to that customer buying cycle, there are some partners that are all on the front end of the deal, and their whole job is to go out and find customers and to help define architectures. There are others that provide assessments. There are others that are professional services focused. There are some that do all of those things. And so we built a program that compensates partners for where we need them in this year, which is really on helping us build this funnel engine and where we need them to go next year, which is to help you know, own more of the deal. And in doing that, we have very, very rich front-end discounts as well as channel-initiated deal reg, right? And then on the back end, we have rebates and investment funding, so you know, money that we can turn back into their business to help them grow their practice, build out their NFR demo lab for things like leading the deal all the way to close or being services compliant and offering services. So really trying to incent the partner where they are in the opportunity and truly the partner who is able to do most of that life cycle of the deal for now are the ones that will benefit the most. So you were talking about when you're driving a channel first transition, uh, three tips. And I think this is always key for companies because a lot of times you have, well, one of my favorite business books is Good to Great because it's easy to say, oh, this is what great it's companies look yeah. like or this is what great programs look like. But how do you go from here to there? And you had three tips on how to make this transition and really to uh, up the quality of a channel program. The first was focus on value. If mm-hmm. you want to talk about that for a few minutes and what the value, how the value is different for different parts of a company. Even. Yeah. And I would extend that to value exchange, right? Um, one of the things I probably learned too late in my career 
is helping your company, so Gigamon in this case, understand in a very tangible way the value that the channel brings to you, but also the value that you bring to the channel. We all think we have great products and great technology and you know our customers and partners are just going to die to work with us. But unless you're selling to the value uh, drivers of that specific partner, that exchange is just not going to be there. Uh, and so for me, you know, getting clear with my board and my, and my executive staff of what our value is, and they are things like access, reach, acceleration, building out our ecosystem, but also then helping my field sales teams and product teams as well understand the value of the channel and what a channel perceives as value and that it's, they really don't care so much anymore about the margin that you can give them on the deal. Um, they do care about what that margin adds up to over time, <laughs> but they're more about you know the stackable margin across that in terms of services, air cover, marketing investment, how easy you are to do business with and those things. So I spent a lot of time internally with the business, back office, field sales product, educating and helping folks understand that channel first means value um, for the partner, not always value for us. Well, it should be a fair and equitable exchange, one hopes. Okay. The second one was keep a close eye on where all your stakeholders are in the change process. <laughs> so to that point, uh, just talking about making sure the folks internally understand what the definition of channel first is, which is ultimately ch uh, channel value, their value, as well as keeping close to your partners and understanding if their drivers have changed, right? So if you have a distributor who's dropped a major line that your product is dependent on, if you don't know that, it's going to impact your business. If you have a partner who is shifting to an entire managed services model and you haven't built a managed services model, you're not going to know that. And if you only kind of sell to the transaction and the field sales folks without you know, engaging your partner stakeholders, um, principals, practice directors, and so on, that's a challenge. Okay. The third one, the final tip you had was measure and communicate the impact of the change. Yeah. Um, getting a clear and agreed definition on what channel value means in terms of a metric that you can share with the business and everybody can point to and agree on what the definition of that metric is or met set of metrics is important. Uh, when we started here, uh, gosh, I think it was called partner initiated. This is going to be super tactical for a second, but it's an example. We had this metric that was partner-initiated, and it was flagged by the salesperson at the end of the deal. Retroactive, somewhat subjective, and really easy to argue about. <laughs> People will say all the time, well, yeah, it's not, you know, not really a metric that we can trust. Mm -hmm. And so as we changed the program, we also changed how we recognize the value of, of our channel-initiated metric to be tied to deal reg and lock down that process so that only partners can deal reg. And that's kind of hard to argue about. If the partner's the first one to the opportunity, converts that opportunity, it's clearly channel initiated. As we go into channel led, we will, you know, look at things like who managed the stages of the deal. And some key things in a deal are the POC stage or the assessment stage, building the bomb stage, the actual submission of the PO, and we will metric those things. So getting super clear on the definition of success with everybody getting everyone in the boat, so to speak, uh, so you can all celebrate it together can help success. You know, it's interesting. I was reading, uh, this is kind of tangential, but related to what you're saying in terms of measurements and, and compensation. I was reading an interview with some of the senior people at the Washington Post who were talking about the changes that happened when Jeff Bezos bought the Post and mm -hmm. really changed the culture. And one of the things was the compensation of people 
became less based on definitive objective measurements and more based on subjective things like how much they were committed to change and how well they signed on to doing change when the team had agreed this is what they were going to do as opposed to standing in the way of it or being kind of passive aggressive. Whereas before <laughs> Be Bezos owned it, they had these very objective measures of, you know, if we had this kind of growth, you were going to get this kind of raise and et cetera, et cetera. And it was kind of interesting that it wasn't as objectively measured, although he's yeah. obviously someone all about measurements in other areas of his business. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because the, the metrics get you part of the way there, right? So super kind of geeky channel conversation, but I can look at my channel initiated number down to the individual seller. That's great. I can ha I know I have a, a channel account manager out there that's 50% channel initiated and more than half of that comes from his most strategic partners. But then when I dig into it a little bit more, say it's a $10 million number as an example. Um, this is just an example. He's got 25 transacting partners in that. For an average deal size, that's 150k. That's a little map that leads me to the uh, the subjective conversation of, hey, have you really adopted this channel first change? Do you understand the go-to-market transition the company's make, making? Do you understand the value it is to the company and to your business, your region, your territory? Um, and do you understand the value drivers of the partners that you're trying to attract? And that having 25 partners chop and change up your business is probably not super valuable <laughs> to your most strategic partners. So I think the the metrics certainly can be a clear indicator of how we're doing on the on the whole and can lead you to the subjective conversation that you have to have, but it is a balance of both. It's a good point. How well do you think partners are doing in terms of adapting to the new cloud world? What do they need to change? How far along are they? How can you help them at Gigamon to make that transition? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think they are adapting to, I'm not going to call it a services world, because uh, I think there's both cloud and digital transformation that you have to take into consideration these days. And so many digital transformation places are ending in a converged world, which is you know, just not purely a cloud model, meaning they're going to have legacy and hardwired environments that you have to deal with. And so I think by and large, you know, the top of the bell curve partners are doing a good job on building out their services capabilities, their value added, you know, their advisory capabilities and so on. It's got to be easier for them to provide a managed service. They've got to, I think the channel needs to get more skin in the game around providing managed services uh, and more expertise because everybody and their brother plus distribution are coming out with different managed services. Super hard to get out into the channel. You know, how, what's the channel's role in providing some amount of ease of entry into that market, if that makes sense? I think in distribution, they, they just got to go faster. I mean, you're, we are definitely starting to see value coming out of new models of distribution, but they've got to be able to execute faster around whether it's focusing on specific parts of channel enablement or building solutions or applying services. I think speed of execution, and this is around the globe, has just got to be faster, barring like one or two distributors that I know of. So I'm going to ask you two questions that are kind of variations of questions that I ask when I'm hiring people. Uh, <laughs> first, not just at Gigamon, but possibly you know, at other companies too, what's a channel campaign or a program that you think you were involved with that was especially successful? So we are... Um, have just launched and are launching with several distributors around the world some meet in the channel solutions with some of our technology partners. There's four or five different technology partners, four or five different distributors that, that are doing that. And the work there is 
at a corporate perspective and sometimes in the field we you know sit down with the technology partner get super clear on what our joint value is to the customer and build out some of the core assets that you would need around a, a joint go-to-market solution you know with our set of APIs you don't necessarily need lots of uh, integration work in time it's just a solution bill of materials you need to build out and then jointly taking those to distribution and dropping them into our overlapping channels. In our, in our case, we're also reaching into some of our technology partner channels for some specific target um, partners to acquire into our business. I'm seeing almost immediate pipeline impact from those sorts of activities. Yeah, and so we call that meet in the channel, right? Catalog meet in the channel programs. And those have been... They're not hard to do, take some work, but it's not real hard to do and uh, provides you know, value for the distributor, uh, provides upsell opportunities for the channel, particularly for with, where there's overlap, and then provides new partner acquisition for the distributor, right? So it's kind of a win-win all the way around. So that's helping drive that big increase in channel-led opportunities that you were talking about at the beginning. Channel or channel-initiated, yeah. Channel-initiated, channel yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then the opposite, what's a channel program or a campaign that wasn't successful and why do you think that was? You know, from I'll say what's hard, what's always hard is uh, channel enablement. We have some of the best enablement materials I've ever seen and, and, and complete and some great channel programs that take folks above certification and into a, an expert level at a very kind of personal and targeted level. Driving uptake around channel enablement is just hard. And I don't know that I can say it doesn't work, but getting it right on how you drive uptake and usage of great programs and content has always been a challenge. So is that enablement around the technology or around marketing, sales, What around what? So our technical enablement has a little bit better uptake, but I would say it's across, it's across the both, right? So other than sitting down with the principal of the company and walking them through all of the programs and all of the enablement and doing it month in and month out. How do you get organic uptake of enablement? You can point out somebody that says, yep, I want to be a giga champ, but until you, you know, walk them through, step them through everything, which is great for the PRM companies, <laughs> but uh, driving uptake and usage internally and externally to me has always been just very laborious. If you don't do the work there, you'll, it'll be a wasted investment. Yeah. So what should I have asked you that I didn't? What keeps you up at night? You know, how do you change the hearts and minds of your sellers when you're going through a channel first transition like this? You know, you'll have very, very successful salespeople who have never worked a day in their life in the channel and they don't think they need to. But channel first, when you're saying, hey, we are a channel first company, we go to market through the channel, um, a third of our business is channel led, requires really everybody to be in that same go to market. And so, being able to authentically enable and educate those folks and create valued partnerships for them to drive that change. You know, I, I spent a lot of time and energy thinking about it down to the individual seller. We've got, I don't know, how many sellers do we have? 300 people, you know, and there's a couple dozen that, you know, I'm, I think about a lot <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, spend time with my teams, um, making sure that we've got the right internal relationships and also programs and incentives and, compensation to make sure that, it, that it's all working for them. You know, fortunately here, I've got a very supportive board and executive team that are all in um, as it comes to channel. Other companies, it, it would be, how do I get my CEO on side? And would spend inordinate amount of time and energy to fix that understanding. And it's, it's 
you know, for others, it's work worth doing. If you don't have those folks on side, your job is no fun. So the sellers you're referring to there, these are internal at Gigamon? Uh, yes. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard, obviously, this is kind of the classic channel conflict issue. And I've heard other companies, people have told me about how they had to change their sales compensation and commissions and such so that they, the internal salespeople understood that they were going to do fine and uh, working with the channel and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing that, that keeps me up at night is that value exchange piece. You know, is the channel as a whole and my individual channel partners receiving the value that I promised them? Because it's super easy in January to sit here and work with Nick and write a press release and get up at SCO and, and promise all these things. But to remind yourself and your team that it's not only about the metrics that you're showing internally, but what are you, how are you demonstrating to your partners and is it real and authentic that they are providing value? We have partner advisory councils and partner summits and um, partner roadshows to constantly test that. But yeah, that, that, that is definitely something that keeps me up. Okay. So how can people contact you if someone wants to talk to you about Gigamon, your channel program, other things? All of my details are on LinkedIn. So my phone number and my work email are all there if they want to connect me there. Um, I'm a pretty active user on LinkedIn, as well as on the Gigamon Catalyst program website. All of my stuff there is there too. Okay, great. We'll link to that through the program notes on the business associates, revenue, I'm sorry, revenueassociates.biz website. Great. So thank you for joining us today, Michelle. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. As I do with all guests, I'll be sending you a copy of my Bullseye Marketing book in appreciation. Oh, thank you. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or another app, and you found the podcast interesting and useful, please leave a review. That will help other people learn about the podcast, too. Thank you for listening to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, and please subscribe and listen to future episodes.